Ephesians 5, 18 to 33 this morning, uh, this morning. So after you have found Ephesians 5 in your Bible, stand. Let's read it together. Ephesians 5, and we begin in verse 18. So do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. And for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is clear that we don't have to wonder what your word says, that uh, we have your design your blueprint for marriage and uh, we know that uh, you do not uh, in any way uh, make uh, this plan vague or unknowing but you have clearly revealed it to us and so lord we pray that you give us the wisdom uh, that we need to apply the truths the principles of your word to our marriages to our families uh, to our own lives, Lord, that we would honor you, that we would have a, a desire to uh, do what you uh, have designed for us. And so, Lord, we pray this morning once again as we think about what your word has to say, that we would line up with it. And, Lord, we pray that uh, you would give us uh, gracious hearts, that you would give us hearts that desire to please you in this realm. So, Lord, we pray today as we worship Lord, that our hearts would just sing your praise. Uh, Lord, that we would sing with uh, enthusiasm, that we would uh, just sing with gratitude-filled hearts. Lord, that we would give uh, as unto you, that we would know that these are uh, gifts given from uh, your hand, that you have abundantly provided all that is necessary for our daily living, and even beyond that. So, Lord, help us to give uh, graciously and uh, joyfully from a grateful heart. And so, Lord, we pray that 
all of our worship, everything that is said and done in this place would be honoring to you. Four-year-old Susie had just been told the story of Snow White for the first time in her life. She could hardly wait to get home from nursery school to tell her mommy. With wide-eyed excitement, she retold the fairy tale to her mother that afternoon. After relating how Prince Charming had arrived on his beautiful white horse and kissed Snow White back to life, Susie asked loudly, And do you know what happened then? Her mother said, Yes, they lived happily ever after. To which she said, No, they got married. Too often in our day and time, getting married and living living happily ever after are anything but synonymous. In fact, according to one study, only 3% of American couples today say that they are very happy with their marriages, and this includes Christian couples. It's not that people are necessarily unhappy with their marriages. It's just that most are settling for far less than they could have. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you settling for less than a happy marriage? Perhaps you're not unhappy, but you sense that you're missing out on the best that marriage has to offer. Well, if that is the case, then I want to encourage you to join me this morning in making a renewed determination to make the most of your marriage. You see, all of marriage is a choice. One small choice follows on the heels of another till the trail becomes clear and worn and a pattern has been established that is difficult to alter. The right choices make for intimacy and closeness a oneness in marriage that equals no other relationship on the human level. But the wrong choices start a couple down the road to disenchantment, distrust, misunderstanding, and emotional or perhaps even physical separation. You see, all marriages have strengths and weaknesses. All marriages are either dynamic or deteriorating. The husband-wife relationship is either in the process of progress or perishing. And I believe it all depends on one thing, whether or not we are willing to follow God's design for marriage. We need to blow the dust off of God's original blueprint for marriage and pattern our homes after what God says. Our greatest need is to hear what He has to say to His people about His design. After all, marriage is his invention. And it's obvious that he understands it best because he holds the patent on it. As the master architect, the Lord is the most qualified authority. So we seek his counsel first and foremost. The original design cannot be improved upon, even though the propaganda sings a different tune. The method to follow is God's. 
We don't need to run down the street to the city library and check out five or six books on marriage. There's no need to go on the Internet and read all the blogs on marriage. They will disagree with each other and you will be confused. God's methods are direct and to the point. Just follow His instructions and you'll have the best that marriage can provide. You know, I really don't know a whole lot about building houses. We built one a few years ago, but if I had not had someone there who knew exactly what they were doing for every aspect of it, I would have been in serious trouble. And we joke about me being a framer, but all I know is I'm dangerous with a nail gun. And yet, I want you to know that I would be a fool to try to build a house without an architect planning every detail of it for me. I would be insane if I tried to build that house any old way I chose without it being carefully planned in advance. And you know what? I don't know a whole lot about building a marriage either. I didn't know, especially years ago when I first got married, I certainly would have to say I haven't mastered it. But I would be an even greater fool not to follow the blueprint of the master architect that he has laid out in his word for my marriage. Listen, I don't want you to know what Dr. Phil has to say. I want you to know what God has to say because he's the one that has established marriage. I want you to know his design, his blueprint for your marriage. You see, the problem today is that couples have departed from God's original design. We are paying the price for it. The foundation that he planned is not being laid correctly. The materials that he insists on us using are not being utilized. The plan is not being followed. So it should not be at all surprising that the construction is failing the test of time. Well, in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, the Lord gives us some very practical guidelines for building our marriages around his design. In the book of Ephesians, Paul gives us three major divisions. In chapter 1 through 320, he talks about the wealth of a Christian. In chapter 4, verse 1 to 610, he talks about the walk of a Christian. And then in chapter 6, verse 11 through 24, he gives us the warfare of the Christian. Now, contrary to what some may think, the key passage on marriage does not come in the warfare section, but it comes right smack dab in the middle of that section that tells us how we are to walk as a follower of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 5, Paul gives us the pattern for the overall structure or superstructure of family life. And here we find six keys to a maximum marriage. These six keys are guaranteed 
to open the door to a happy marriage. And the degree to which you and I employ these principles will determine the success and the fulfillment of our marriages. If we neglect them, we cannot help but to expect that our marriage will be a miserable experience. If we follow them, we can expect to experience marriage as God originally designed it. And the choice is ours to make. So what are these six keys to a fulfilled marriage from God's instruction manual? The first one is maturity. Maturity. The very first goal that God has for us in our Christian walk is that we grow up in Him to become mature people. And Paul begins this passage of Scripture by saying that we are to continually being, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, without going into a long theological treatise on this, let me just say that being filled with the Spirit simply means that we allow the Holy Spirit to control how we act and what we say. In other words, this is another way of saying that we are to let Him have His way in our lives. It is a way of describing spiritual maturity, which is the opposite of selfishness. In Colossians, we see where this is equated with allowing the Word of God to dwell in us richly. But this is all connected to spiritual maturity. You know, babies and small children are characterized by selfishness. That's why we refer to them as being immature. And when a child throws a fit in a supermarket by lying on the floor and kicking and screaming, he is revealing his selfish nature. He is revealing his immaturity. Why does he do that? For one reason. Because he wants what he wants, and he wants it now. But listen, selfishness plagues us all through life, and some have never had it trained out of them, which is one of the primary responsibilities that we have in parenting. And there is nothing that destroys marriages any faster than selfishness. In fact, of all the marriage counseling that I have done, there is very little that I have encountered as problems in marriages that you cannot in some way boil down to selfishness. Listen, the most difficult person to love over a long period of time is not the one who is unattractive or has zero personality or has annoying habits. No, the one who is the most difficult to love is the one who is selfish in the relationship. And by the way, you cannot hide behind academic or professional success to cover your selfishness. A man may be a brilliant scholar 
or a successful businessman and very good at his career, but he could be a selfish, overgrown baby at home. A woman may be an effective organizer, a women's club president, a church worker, but she could be a selfish, childish, immature wife at home. And the truth of the matter is that you can be a total success in the business or academic world and be a total failure at home in your marriage. Paul says the starting place is to grow up. Grow up. Mature. Paul said in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. He's saying here, Grow up and stop thinking just about yourself. Start thinking about the other person first. You see, in God's economy, you never get anything by keeping it for yourself. That's not how God's economy works. The way to have something is to give it. If you want love, for example, don't work to try to give it, uh, get it. Instead, focus on giving it, and it will come back to you in return. If you want friends, don't look for friends. Work at being friendly, and you'll have lots of friends. And the same is true of thoughtfulness, consideration, respect, courtesy, honor, gentleness, and kindness. If you want your partner to treat you unselfishly, then you start by being mature enough to treat them unselfishly. You start by thinking of them first, regardless of how they treat you. This is one of the main things, by the way, that can turn a marriage around. If a marriage isn't going very well, this is one of the key elements of turning that marriage around. Begin to think of your spouse more highly than yourself, and it will transform your marriage. You say, well, but what if I give to my spouse, but they don't give back in return? Just keep doing it as unto the Lord. You see, there's nothing really in Philippians 2 about thinking of the other more highly than yourself only when they do the same toward you. There are no conditions there at all. And you've probably heard the old saying that marriage is a 50-50 proposition, but my friend, nothing could be further from the truth, at least for a Christian, for a Christian couple. Marriage for a child of God is a 100 to nothing proposition. That is, you should go into it with the idea that you're going to give yourself completely for the sake of your mate, whether you receive anything in return or not. That is the attitude at which we must go into marriage. And the focus for a believer is not what you hope to get, but what you're willing to give. And that takes maturity. That takes 
dying to self. And if both the husband and the wife have this same heart, then it creates that kind of self-giving love that produces the best that marriage can offer. That's God's design. Now, I want to take the next two keys together. Submission and love. Submission and love. First of all, I want you to note verse 21 says, Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. You know, I have men that come up to me occasionally and they say, Pastor, the wives are supposed to submit to their husbands, aren't they? Isn't that what the Bible says? And I say, that's right. And the husbands are supposed to submit to their wives. And they say, where does it say that? I say right here in verse 21. In fact, this entire passage on marriage in Ephesians 5 is all about submission. It just comes out one way for the husbands and another way for the wives. But make no mistake about it, there is enough submission to go around. Now let's look at verses 22 to 24. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Now, it really does not take a rocket scientist here or a Greek scholar to understand what Paul is saying. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, and then he gives a comparison as to the Lord. For wives, the basic role is one of submission, and the analogy is as to the Lord. In other words, in the very same way that a Christian wife would submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, she is to submit to her own husband. Is that not what it says? I did not write that. The Holy Spirit did. Look at verse 25. Here's the husband's part. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Again, this is not complicated if we simply let Scripture say what it says. The husband's basic role is self-giving love. And the analogy for the husband is, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And notice that both roles have unique patterns and both are analogous to Jesus Christ. The godly wife asked, Lord, how can I show my love to you in the role that you have given me to fulfill, and God answers, show it in your submissive heart toward your husband. The godly husband asked, Lord, how can I be the kind of man you want me to be as a husband? And the Lord answers, the kind of love that you have toward your wife will show the world how much you love me. You see, tucked away within the seams of these verses are two implied yet penetrating questions that each partner needs to ask. The wife must come to terms with her role and ask, do I love my husband enough 
to live for him. And the husband must come to terms with his role and ask, do I love my wife enough to die for her? And the even greater question for both of them is, do I love my Lord enough to give myself in a sacrificial way to my spouse? Author Chuck Swindoll writes, The world today doesn't talk about a husband loving his wife enough to die for her. Mention that idea on any talk show and listen for the razzmatazz from the host and the audience alike. And drop the word submission on them if you really want to wake them up. Immediately you'll be categorized as an ignorant weirdo who wants to take our culture back thousands of years. A few years ago, the Southern Baptist Convention adopted a new article to the Baptist faith and message, which is the doctrinal statement for Southern Baptist churches. The new article was called the Article on the Family. Let me read it in its entirety. Quote, God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human, human society. It is composed of persons related to one another by marriage, blood, or adoption. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in covenant commitment for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and His church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship, the channel for sexual expression according to biblical standards, and the means for procreation of the human race. The husband and wife are of equal worth before God since both are created in God's image. The marriage relationship models the way God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He has the God-given responsibility to provide for, to protect, and to lead his family. A wife is to submit herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ. She, being in the image of God as his, is her husband, and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband and to serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. Children from the moment of conception, are a blessing and heritage from the Lord. Parents are to demonstrate to their children God's pattern for marriage. Parents are to teach their children spiritual and moral values and to lead them through consistent lifestyle example and loving discipline to make choices based on biblical truth. Children are to honor and obey their parents. Now, folks, this is verbatim what the Apostle Paul taught. And yet, when that was adopted, it created a media whirlwind. The secular media could not believe that we would adopt such a backward and outdated idea as this. How dare we agree with the Bible on the family? In response... James Dobson wrote, There it is, the politically incorrect statement that sent thousands of media critics into orbit. 
Southern Baptist males were characterized either as Neanderthals dragging women by their hair or like Archie Bunker who dominated his spineless wife Edith in the 1970s television sitcom. One radical feminist wrote, where have these people been hiding for the last 35 years? Others labeled it as extremist, far right-wing radicalism, fundamentalism, as if that were a derogatory term. And they called us religious nuts. The negative media response was swift and furious. But you see, folks, those who disagree with this article, including back then the President of the United States, are really disagreeing with the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5. The article on the family simply formalizes what Scripture says. And thank God for other evangelical Christians who came out publicly and affirmed the biblical stand that was taken by Southern Baptists at the time. But you see, the world has gone the opposite direction. The secular world goes nuts if you mention the word submission. Chuck Swindoll says, Strange, isn't it, how angry and misinformed individuals invariably envision abusive concepts whenever the word submission is mentioned. He says, every time I hear that, I know that person simply doesn't understand the biblical teaching on submission. He says, when placed in the proper biblical setting, the woman's worth is enhanced and her life is enriched by a husband who loves her. There is, in that context, fulfillment and freedom rarely experienced anywhere else on earth. You see, when the biblical principles of submission and love go out the window, happiness and fulfillment go out the window with it. And you see, we can choose to do it God's way or we can choose choose to do it our way, but we must live then with the consequences of our decision. And my friend, listen, I don't care if every media outlet in the country says this is archaic, if this is what God, God's Word says that we are to do, I will go down to my dying breath proclaiming that this is the way to make it work as it should. And according to the Word of God, marriage is more than just a contract between two people. It is a mirror of the relationship between Christ and His church. And submission is the operative element for both the husband and the wife. Well, notice a fourth key to a maximum marriage, and that is communication. Verse 19 talks about speaking to one another in a spirit-filled way. Look at it speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. This, of course, does not mean that you have to go around singing to one another. 
But many couples settle for less than the best in marriage because they have not learned to communicate with each other in a spirit-filled manner. Now, the whole area of communication, as you know, is very broad. It covers a lot of different factors that we could bring in. But Paul specifically here is talking about spirit-filled communication. It is communication that is controlled by the Spirit of God. That is the whole point as it relates to Christian marriage, is whether or not we are being controlled by the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our relationship, and our communication is a vital part of that. Do we communicate with with each other in a tender, loving, Spirit-controlled way? Are we careful not to use any kind of unwholesome speech? Do we speak only that which edifies? Do we control our tongues so that we don't say that which is hurtful? Or do we just allow the flesh to spew that poison that destroys? Now, we're going to spend more time on this later on, but I want to Go on now to key number five, which is prayer. Prayer. Verse 20 says, Always giving thanks for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. This is talking about prayer. Don't minimize the power of prayer in your marriage. Many marriages have been transformed by prayer. The rate of divorce as you may know, has hovered right around one for every two marriages for quite a long time. But interestingly, statistics show that for those couples who regularly pray together, the divorce rate is only 1 in 50. Only 1 in 50. There is something very powerful about joining your hearts together in prayer to the Lord. In fact, I believe that is the greatest force on the face of this earth is when a husband and a wife regularly pray together. It is more powerful than what goes on in Congress. It's more powerful than anything that that may be seen as important from the secular perspective. From a spiritual perspective this is the most powerful force in the world key number six christ verse 21 says that we are to be subject to one another in the fear of christ you know it takes three persons to make a good marriage a husband a wife and the lord jesus christ if two people are properly related to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then they will more likely be properly related to one another. Christ is the key to a good, fulfilling marriage. If Christ is not the spiritual head of your home, then you will find that you will not experience all the blessings that God has for your marriage. Psalm 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain to build it. 
Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and retire late. It's, it's vain for you to put in that hard day's labor and strive unless the Lord is building your house. And you can do all those other things that make for a good marriage. But if Christ is not the head of your marriage, you will fall short of what it could be. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time on this particular passage of Scripture because it is the primary passage on the family in the New Testament. But I want you to go to the end of chapter 5 and look with me at verses 31 and 32. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. As he comes to the very end of his teaching on marriage, the Apostle Paul springs a great surprise. He says that marriage is a mystery. That there is a hidden meaning in it that was not known throughout all the hundreds of years of Old Testament history. He says that marriage is a type or a picture of something else. And here, Paul gives marriage a brand new purpose. He's saying that only after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ could this meaning of marriage become known. And he says that human marriage is a picture of the true marriage, which is the marriage of Christ and the church. In other words, marriage is all about the gospel. Listen, marriage is not just about relational fulfillment or sexual pleasure or procreation. Of course, All of those things are tied up in marriage. But that is not the main purpose for marriage. According to God's Word, marriage is supposed to be a portrait of the relationship between Christ and the church. Folks, what a tremendous privilege it is that we can show to all the world what that relationship between Christ and His church is supposed to look like? And of course, the real question for us is this. Is my marriage a good portrait of that? When people look at my marriage, can they see the mystery of the gospel? Can they see the kind of loving relationship that Christ has with His redeemed saints, the church, is the picture that I'm portraying an accurate picture or is it a distorted picture? Now listen, if the reality of marriage as a portrait of Christ in the church is so fundamental to Paul's theology on the family, then it ought to be just as important to us that we think in these same terms. And once we do that, we will no longer look at marriage as being about 
our own happiness or the fulfilling of our own needs. We will no longer look to find satisfaction in our mate. Instead, we will see marriage as a way of honoring Christ, as a way of showing the world the truth of the gospel. And folks, without doubt, the greatest key to happiness in marriage is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He must be Lord of your marriage. He must be Lord of your home, your family. And if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then these things are going to be foreign concepts to you. This isn't going to make any sense to you at all. This is instruction for believers, followers of Jesus Christ. But you see, you can get in on God's design, and it begins by trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, repenting of your sin, putting your faith and trust in Christ alone. That's the starting point. But Jesus Christ must be Lord of all. You know, marriage was God's idea. It was His creative plan. He made it beautiful. It was man who disfigured marriage. It was man who marred it with sin. But it doesn't have to remain that way. At any point that we are willing to turn our lives and our marriages over to the Lord, He will become the foundation, the builder, the rebuilder, if necessary, of our homes and our families. Even the broken pieces of our lives can be mended and can be repaired if we will let God be Lord in every area of our lives, beginning with this most vital relationship. What about it this morning? Are you determined to make the most of your marriage? If you are, then you can have all that God wants you to have. Let's pray together. Father, we pray this morning you would help us to begin to see your blueprint, your design. Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul. Lord, it is your word on marriage. So, Lord, help us to follow it. Help us to comply with it. Help us to uh, to know that this is the best because it's your way. Lord, it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter if the world may scoff at these concepts. It is your truth. It is your design. We want your best. So, Lord, help us to be wise in that. Lord, I pray this morning if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray that they will come to know you today to put their faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have not left us without your instruction, but that you've given us what we need to be the kind of people you want us to be, to bring glory and honor to your name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.